Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. There should be one or two of those out there in the wild. I think there don't are. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, tell them what you're trying to figure out then, Rowie. <sighs> Friends, this week I am trying to figure out politeness. And as you're Australian, do they have it there? Well, we're learning. We're learning. But not from <laughs> you. <laughs> not from Americans. Actually, I'm American now, so I have to watch my mouth. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so politeness, it's an interesting thing because here we are like broadly like anti-culture, but mm. of course the culture is a necessary part of life and being able to be literate in the culture while also being able to mm. like tell the difference between na- our nature and the culture, it's, that's important. It's kind of like spycraft. Like you have to be able to blend but not know, or anthropology where you just, you enter a culture and you put brackets on your own belief system and you just go with the culture, but from a position of knowing that you're not controlled by the culture. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So with our daughter Lila, who's two, um, I've been trying to, we collectively have been trying to instill, you know, just the politeness markers that will help her get ahead in mm-hmm. life. It's part of our job is to let her know when please and thank you are appropriate, right? Please and thank you and a smile will take me far. One of my favorite songs from Honey on the Rock. Go on. So um, we're working on this. I actually read an article. I don't know if I told you this. That was There's this huge study done to try and figure out what, so politeness markers, please and thank you, uh-huh. effectively, um, are purely cultural yes. and that this is well known, but we also need to be able to use it to get by. Yeah. And so they did this study about how can parents influence their children to um, use them mm. um, because you cannot, you have to be taught that you can't intrinsically know it. Mm-hmm. And so Are there they, like cattle prods involved in this training? <laughs> not, not really, but it's really interesting because they were like if they tried all these different things and what it came down to in the end is if you want your kids to use politeness markers, yeah. nag them. 
So they spent millions of dollars and what it came down to is what everyone does anyway. What do you say? What's the magic word? (laughs) um, It's funny because Lila um, is, is quite creative. Yes. you know, in her personality. And, and she's, so she's made her own sense of this. And it's kind of funny because so like in our house, um, well, you know, she'll be wanting something and what do you say? And she goes, please. Oh, actually at the moment it's please. And then, you know, Marty will give her what, whatever it is, a cracker or, or something. <laughs> and she goes, <laughs> looks into to Marty's eyes and goes, Happy birthday, Muffy. And Marty goes, you're welcome, my darling. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> it is her expression of love. Happy birthday. Yes. But ironically, the one time it was appropriate yesterday, it didn't come out like that. Didn't, no. I got home from my birthday walk. I'd gone on a long walk as a special treat for my birthday because that's my definition of a party. So you'd been telling her it was actually appropriate today to say happy birthday, Muffy. We'd been practicing in the car all the way home from school. We'd been singing um, happy birthday, dear Muffy, over and over again. Occasionally we had to take a little break from that to sing happy birthday, dear Lila. Oh, you got to do that. Yeah. Um, but she was, and, and what do you say? Happy birthday, Muffy. Happy birthday, Muffy. Okay, so when you see Muffy, what are you going to say? Happy birthday, Muffy. Happy birthday, Muffy. Okay, we're all set. Muffy walks in and she says, I want birthday cake, Muffy. (laughs) (laughs) Which we figured was close enough. Close enough. That's the American way to say it. Exactly. Sure. So politeness is what I'm trying to figure out. Marty, uh, what are you trying to figure out? Oh, it's never going to work. That politeness thing, I can never get it right. I go too far the other way. I am deeply and severely codependent to the Mm. point where when I want to say I love you, I basically say, could I put myself in your service for the rest of eternity (laughs) and please also kick me in the face? (laughs) I'm I'm working on it. Okay, I'm working on it. I'm getting better. But I have this deep belief, as you know, and you may have heard it before on the podcast, referred to as my God tentacles. Mm. Yeah. I know for a true fact that there is not a human being or an animal on this planet that does not need my constant presence and attention to reach happiness. This is literally true as Martha Beck herself this might say. This is literally true. This is why I write self-help for sure. Except that I also have really, really bad ADD. So I'm continuously just forgetting what I'm doing. Hmm. So it's this weird one-two punch that I've been administering to my loved ones and others all my life. I am here for you. I will be here for you forever. Let me do everything for you. You need never wander. Oh, way, way. Hello, there's a squirrel. You know, like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> I, it's always, I will never vary. And my in my brain, it never does vary. The love stays strong. Well, in your heart, let's say. The heart, yeah, yeah. In my your brain. brain- can, yeah. can wander. In my brain, it's more <laughs> like the other day we were in our apartment and I was trying to put, we had just painted a wall. I had just you, painted a wall. You, like, take the credit. You did everyone it all. needs me to paint their walls. I'll do anything for you. I will seriously install your furniture hangings and things, even though I don't know how because I know you need me, all you people out there. But bear this in mind. Well, I'm busily trying to put the outlet screws back on this little thing, which is not a complex task. I hear Ro in the other room kind of coughing. 
And I'm like, okay, she's coughing. My coughs are much sexier than that. She's not doing a good well, impersonation. I don't, want, I don't want to just seduce our whole viewers, listenership yeah. by doing a real Rowan Mangan cough. <laughs> it was a deep throaty thing. It, <laughs> it had an Australian accent. It was like, <laughs> And so after about 10 minutes and I could not get this outlet thing back on, Ro comes limping around the corner from like literally five feet away on the other side of the road and goes, didn't you understand? I was I just choked on a piece of egg and I was going to die and you didn't even care. I care. I'm just hyper-focused on my outlet. On, in fact, I walked into the room and you said, this is hard. And I was like, <laughs> so is near-death experiences. Chick. Yeah. Did you see the light? Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, Probably I saw not. it, but it was just you getting electrocuted with your um, <laughs> your screwdriver in the outlet. I pretty much would have to have been there for you to see, for you to go toward the light, right? Because <laughs> I am necessary to make everything go well for everybody. Literally, my kids had a hamster. My older kids had a hamster that died once, and I was so sad that I wasn't there to, to tell it to go toward the light. <laughs> I really was. And then I was like, I wonder if it had a little tiny hamster-shaped light, and it went to the end of a long tunnel, which is like a hamster tube. And then at the other end of the hamster, all the other dead hamsters plus Jesus' hamster was waiting for it. I wonder if, like, what would happen if you were going towards the light and it turned out you were just on one of those wheels so you kept trying <laughs> to run wheel. towards the little light. Jesus but wheel, I'm trying to come, Lord, I'm trying to come. <laughs> I think that actually describes my life. Yeah. And then oh, I got flung from the, you know how they go really fast and then they get flung <laughs> by the centrifugal, centripetal force, one of those forces, yeah. flings them, flings them from the hamster wheel. Yeah. That's my life. Yeah. <laughs> I am trying to focus on getting everyone to heaven. And then I get flying by my own velocity into wherever Jesus flang me. Wherever Jesus flang you. Leave oh. it lay where Jesus flying it. All right. Well, you know, I don't think we're any closer to figuring that out either. No, not at all. Mm. It's been a lifetime, so yeah. Why well, start now? Yeah. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favor to ask. You might not know this, but... Ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but 
I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. All right. So, Marty, today is a Be Wild Files episode. I love a Be Wild Files day. We always enjoy this. And um, for those who are new to the podcast, on the Be Wild Files episodes, it's when we talk to you all mm-hmm. about what you are trying to figure out. Yeah. And um, if you get excited by this prospect, then you can go to rowanmangan.com slash bewildered and um, that's where you have instructions on how to tell us what you're trying to figure out. But listen, you've got to say it with your mouth mm. into a machine and send it because that's the format. That's how we do it. Yeah. You can't write your email. I know mm-hmm. you guys want to write it as an email. You, ca- you can't. It doesn't work. It's an audio format. Mm. So We need your lovely voices. Yes. I've written out very detailed instructions mm-hmm. for how to record your voice and send it to us. It's actually not that hard. It's like a voice memo plus an email. At least at the time of recording, we might get more high tech down the line. <laughs> anyway. You'll figure it out. You That's will. That's the whole point. You will. You absolutely will. And we believe in you. So who's who are we hearing from, literally hearing from this day? Today we are listening to the question of the wonderful Jenny. And Jenny. here comes Jenny now. Yeah. This is Jenny and... Um, I've been putting my true authentic self into the world more and more, and I'm the happiest I have ever been. But why am I feeling such hard vulnerability hangovers? Is that something I should be trying to prevent, or is it just part of the process of becoming wild? Such a good question. Mm -hmm. Oh, the vulnerability hangover. They're rough, man. They are difficult. So we should define that for people who don't already know this wonderful expression. Yeah. Dr. Brene Brown always comes back to Brene sooner or later. Always. Like, She's like the the scholar of our time. Or Rome. All load all roads lead to her. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly in our little little bubble, there's a lot of Brene going on. And yeah. thank goodness. So, you know, as as um, anyone who's not living under a rock knows Brene Brown is like a, a social researcher and she sp- has specialised in like vulnerability and shame and how those work and how those function in, within us and between us. And she believes that being vulnerable is um, really important, like it's an important component of a well-lived life. Yes, yes. And um, she said vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage. That's so, a quote. That is a quote. Can I say quote? End quote. Boom. Boom. Brene there, mic drop. So, um, so yeah, it's hard to be vulnerable. But it I is. think in the fact that Jenny used that expression, vulnerability hangover, she's probably aware that, you know, it's a thing that we maybe should enjoy. But Ooh, I don't think anyone ever really enjoys it, especially at first. Maybe you can get to a point where you feel like, ooh, I'm being vulnerable. This is awesome. Yeah, I didn't mean enjoy. That was a bad choice of words. <laughs> should think is a good thing. Ah, uh, yes, because... should value. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's it's very, very difficult. To... It, it literally is like uh, exposing a part of your body to someone. Like there, there's a natural... You see it with with little kids like our toddler. They start to get naturally sort of inhibited about exposing themselves too much because 
it's a dangerous world out there. And if you expose part of yourself emotionally, whatever, the potential for getting hurt is very, very real. So it's it's a hard thing and yeah. it does take courage. Yes. And it's not even just the fear of getting hurt, you know, because of what a vulnerability hangover is, to be super clear, is when you have had an, a social interaction of some sort and you've shared something of yourself and then it comes back at you mm. uh, later that day, the next day, and that night in bed. <gasps> oh, the oh, worst. God. When you, and you're suddenly like, oh, I think I've overshared. I think I've shared too much of myself. Ooh. It was too intimate. It was too revealing. Uh, and I will say in terms of our preoccupation you know yes. I think the vulnerability hangover comes especially when what you've said is you've revealed something of yourself that goes against or is different from what our mainstream yeah. culture values in yeah. some way yeah I think we we both and Karen too maybe had a vulnerability hangover after we just like said here's the episode about our relationship which mm -hmm. has three people in it Mm -hmm. And then we actually went on Glennon and, and Abby's podcast and said it again. We did. And both times it was like, ah, ah, I was like putting aloe vera all over my body to because I, I was going to be scalded by the exposure to the opinions of others, like sunburn. There was actually a time where you had written about our relationship <gasps> and someone was just mm. doing an edit of, of this yeah. piece of writing. And oh, where Marty had talked about, the fact that we're in Thrupple, this person had written TMI, like mm -hmm. too much inflammation. Inflammation. That was what she, she had. She got very inflamed yes. by this information. <laughs> too much inflammation. <laughs> too much information. And that was very shaming, I think, for both of us. Oh, my God. It was horrifying. Edit back. Yeah. It was, I mean, I still feel like that TMI as though it's like, Ugh. Like there's that that implication, and it may not have been there at all. Like I once met someone in a um, I, I was at a spa doing something for an Oprah event or something, and there was a woman there who had been reading my stuff and wanted to meet me. And I was in the dressing room going out for a massage, and she was blowing her hair, and she had a towel wrapped around herself and then rolled the way you roll it to keep to make it stick around your torso. Mm -hmm. So she's blow drying her hair and I walked by and she turned around and she said, Martha Beck, and her towel fell, <laughs> fell off. <laughs> you think that was accidental. I think it was entirely deliberate because this well, is the effect you have on women. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, Martha Beck, what do you think of these apples? <laughs> <laughs> They're called apples now? I thought they were melons or whatever. Anyway, she had a, she was I wasn't lovely. there. I don't she know what lovely. you would have called And I mean that ones. in a completely aesthetic sense as an artist, not as a lesbian. <laughs> but it's so funny because we did not say a thing about it. She grabbed it off the floor. She re-rolled it. And then I felt sort of duty bound to have like a 25 minute conversation <laughs> with her so we could like roll over that moment and we could basically be saying for 25 minutes, we were standing there going, my towel did not fall off and I was saying, I did not see your entire naked body. Yes, my towel did not fall off. Oh, I did not see your naked body. It was it was a challenging experience for me and I'm sure even more for her. And, and if you're out there, uh, I admire and love you. And you do have a beautiful body, but I don't mean that in a lesbian way. I'm just digging myself in deep. Oh, this is, oh. yeah. No. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. This is what it feels like. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, that's a good one because it's automatically a funny story for both 
you know, like the yeah. embarrassment is funny, but often this stuff happens more sort of insidiously, like, and you're just like, you can't, like being naked in front of your hero suddenly without <laughs> without um, any presumed intention that way is um, clearly our culture sort of says probably best to be clothed probably. except in, in specific contexts. Lady Godiva. And um, so... Sorry, I've just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, you were saying it's insidious. Yeah, and so that that is a very clear one, but sometimes you're just not sure if you've crossed the line. Mm. And so it's just like, and what were they thinking and trying to replay their facial expressions? Were they grossed out? Were they right. freaked out? Did they think I'm um, weird, unnatural, um, you know, funny looking? Do you do looking. that too where you act out their facial expressions? No, I don't do it, but I love I love the way you your mirror neurons are so turned up high that you oh you always. In fact, this morning, <laughs> can I just tell what happened this morning? I don't know, but go ahead. I was on the phone to the pharmacy, and I was watching Marty across the room, and she was doing something on her phone, and she had this expression on her face where she looked like she was like she had her little teeth out. She was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean she has not false out. teeth. They're, in they're fixed in my head. It's not like I took them out. <laughs> She had her little, she was baring her little teeth and she looked quite fierce. And I was like, what is she doing? But I was talking to the pharmacy and the pharmacy listens to everything. And so anytime there's any volume when you're on the phone with our particular pharmacy, they go, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. And they're so sarcastic about it. You are an American. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not strictly relevant, but just a personal bugbear. So. I'm like, Marty, what were you doing when when you were looking so angry and ferocious earlier when I was on the phone to the pharmacy? And she goes, oh, no, I was just really excited to be playing solitaire as fast as I possibly could because I was trying to beat a record. <laughs> they had to put that in that you can beat your own record now, but it's time. And I'm like, ah, my so teeth bizarre. come out when that happens. They do. Yeah. They come out, you little gnashes. My little fight or flight, it goes to fight. I will fight the solitaire. Like, yeah. So, Marty, is, anyway, it's, it's just a cute thing that I can always look over and you're always completely, your facial expression reflects what you're doing in some way or another. Like if I you're trying to write, yesterday was your birthday, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. And um, many months ago by the time you're hearing this. Uh, and every time I looked over at her, if she was on her phone, she was thanking people for birthday messages. And so she was doing this really wide, cheesy grin as she did the thing. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. The one I do that I think is quite funny is if I'm searching for an emoji <laughs> to remind myself which one I'm searching for, I try to do the facial expression as the reminder while I'm scrolling through all the different emojis. You know, speaking of that, it, there was a time when people wandering down the street or standing on a beach with no one around shouting things like, well, I don't care if she does not want it. I wanted to have it. Those people were considered, you know, that would be an embarrassing thing to do in public. Now everybody's got a phone in their ear hmm. or they're writing an emoji po- text to somebody. So people are doing all these weird gesticulations and facial positions and wordings into the open air, which once would have been a massive vulnerability hangover in the making. Hmm, and now it's just no big deal. The culture's changed. I don't think the culture's changed. I think people just understand what's happening. Is there any difference between that and the culture changing? No, because I think the culture would, if there were no headphones in the ear of that person, Mm. the culture would feel exactly the same way about them talking to no one and would be just as judgmental. But I would just assume they have a tiny device even nicer than my devices tucked into their earlobe or something. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dr. Martha back there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, be it that as it may. A little bit off topic there. Whatever your vulnerability hangover is, Brene, again, all roads lead to Brene. Mm. Her research shows that moving into the vulnerability thing is not just a mark of courage, but it can be one of the most positive things that can happen to you in terms of your overall relationships and the quality of life and your presence in the world and all of that uh, adds to your sense of purpose. And, yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing is that it's it's towards a more a life that feels more meaningful because yeah. uh, you're sharing you're, you know, you're authentically yeah, you're sharing authentic. rather yeah. than playing this this sort of mannequin role that the culture has, right. has sort of set out for us. So so let's just go into what, what does the culture say about oh. vulnerability? It says don't, don't show it, right? Yeah. No. It says no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't expose things as long as they're approved of by yeah. the culture. Yeah. So, you know, you, showing a certain amount of eye candy is fabulous if the culture is into that. Dropping your towel is not in our particular culture, but in Japan, going to the bathhouse, you know, everybody's wandering around naked is completely culturally appropriate. Whereas in other cultures where people have to be very covered up, mm. even showing your hair could be considered shocking and horrible. So, but in any culture that you're in, there's a line and you are supposed to know it somehow. And you do not expose certain things. And if you do expose them, then you should have a hangover. You should feel bad because that way the culture has you still in its controls, right? Right, because the culture needs everyone to be homogenous. Mm. And if you're having a vulnerability hangover after sharing something, it's probably because you've expressed something that's true for you, mm. right? And so the culture has to go, shh, shh, you need to be you know, only follow the party yeah. line, stay on message. Yes. And our true nature is very rarely, I mean, it can it can happen that your true nature and the culture sometimes agree about things. Yeah. I like wearing clothes when it's cold, for instance. Uh-huh. That was such an interesting thing with the TMI because I wrote yeah. this, I wrote this down in something that I knew an editor would read because I was trying to be completely authentic. And it was such a, like, I was able to write it in a way that felt like it Share, showed our feelings. I felt completely appropriate. I, I was totally comfortable with it. Yeah. And then to get that whack slap, I don't want to know. Yeah. It was a classic culture of lashback against vulnerability. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was quite, uh, it stung. So there's a thing where I feel like there's two things. There's one where you haven't meant to mm. you've you've accidentally overstepped the culture's rules. So you've got a vulnerability hangover because you're like, oh no, did I did I say something too far? Is that person judging me? Yeah. So there's that where you actually weren't intending to, but then there's when you were intending to speak your own truth Ooh. and which is what your your writing was doing in yeah. that instance. And and then you're trying to judge what the backlash was. Is this a safe thing to have said with this person? Right, right, right. And that's that's even more uncomfortable in a way because if you're if you're just ac worried you did it by accident, you're not on a project of of bewilderment, right? Yeah. You're you're just trying to do the right thing, and and you can mess it up. But this is trying not to do the right thing by the culture. Right. You know, I just, as you're talking, I'm remembering every British rom-com ever made because oh, there's this, the I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. There's this thing of who says I love you first. And I think it's in America too. I think it's everywhere. Because well, that was you, Julia Roberts who said that. 
Well, yeah. yeah. So she, I don't know if she felt hungover after that. Anyway, <laughs> all his friends said he was an idiot for, for letting her say that and letting it just hang out there so that she would have a vulnerability hangover. They're very sensitive to it, it seems, in England. So, there, But there's always this point, and I think it's every relationship where you're in love with each other, but you don't want to be the first one to say, mm. my heart is on a platter, do with it what you will. Mm. That's like the ultimate vulnerability hangover. And if somebody says it and the other person's like, I'm, it's like when I, <laughs> we, I think I mentioned uh, Adam said to Lila, she said, I love you, Adam. And he says, I love that you said that. <laughs> I like that you said <laughs> I that. I like that you said that. Yeah, that is, that. like you can find that in any love story, I think. And it really pertains to love. It does. Because you can't really be loved until you're exposed. That's so true. That's so true. And But that's an interesting one because that's actually, like you say, it's the rom-coms, it's the script, the culture script of um, like we can laugh at each other because the I love you is, I mean, in a way it's the beginning of, of creating a new two-person culture yeah. in that moment, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's one where, you know, because there's embarrassment, there's a little bit of faux pas, but ultimately two people who are in love with each other is culturally sanctioned. Not three. <laughs> Not three. Stop right there. <laughs> but two. This has gone so, far enough. Yes. What next? <laughs> Helicopters? <laughs> Marrying a goat? Yes. <laughs> we I'd love in. to marry a goat. We should do that. Oh, what, did Karen, like, what were we yeah, talking about I was today? trying to get something from a pharmacy, a, pharmacy yeah. a medication that someone in the family really needs, and we finally found this pharmacist who gave it. This he runs this little mom and pop pharmacy, and all the big ones don't have this medication. So we found it, and I was like, "That man was so nice. I I would marry him." And Karen, without looking up from her puzzle, just got goes, "Why stop now? <laughs> <laughs> Might as well keep marrying people. You got to run on it now." <laughs> yeah, we don't have we don't have a lot of vulnerability hangovers no. anymore, do we? What What is your experience though of your own? Um, hangovers um, in this regard oh my gosh I I am a chronic oversharer and and I think sometimes I cope with it by putting like even internally within myself putting on a kind of bravado about um I don't care I'm just you know like and and try to just bluff my way through it like I can even remember saying I love you first to people in uh -huh. the past and saying look this is how I feel in this moment you don't have to say anything oh. I'm just telling you like you know what would be funny, <laughs> not at all, is if you said, I love you, and the other person also loves you, but is too afraid to say it in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then they go away and they're like, oh, I really do love her. But in the meantime, you've got this echoing silence. So you get a massive hangover and you're like, the next time you see them, they take a breath and they're about to say, I love you too. And you say, remember when I said, I love you? I was just joking. <laughs> It's basically the plot of Romeo and Juliet. It's every rom-com, actually. That's, <laughs> I don't, I don't know exactly that Romeo and Juliet's considered a rom-com. but Yeah, um, one of those suicide rom-coms. <laughs> suicide <laughs> rom-com should be, a, um, should be a, a genre. It's going to be a genre, suicide rom-coms. Oh, I love that. That'd I love great until I died. What? <laughs> that would be a great name for a band, suicide <gasps> rom-com. Suicide we may actually have to do a band. We're going to have to do a band. Except that would mean I had to. Re I would have to perform music in public and you know what happens when I try to perform music. <laughs> okay, we, we're on a bit of a divergent kind of um, it's thing not, today. It's not, a real thing. And so I'm just going ahead and, and following this, this rabbit hole. So the first, like, <laughs> when we hadn't been together that long, 
Um, so cute. I, I don't even to know. express my love. <laughs> <laughs> so I was with Karen in, like, I don't know what we were doing, watching TV or something, working. And Marty thought we'd gone out because the room where we were in was went on to the garage. She thought we'd gone out. We hadn't gone out. Marty starts beautifully playing the piano. Sounds lovely. Karen and I like, oh. It was not lovely. I was not in practice. <laughs> She's very judgmental of self. And um, so she was playing away and we didn't think anything of it. And then at one point I think I went into the kitchen to get a glass of water and the, the piano was there. And Marty saw me and honestly you have never seen a bigger drama queen <laughs> Then Marty's. It was completely appropriate to the she, situation. Guys, she, folks, she literally threw herself onto the floor. What else could the other guy in do? In shame that I'd heard her playing. Yeah. And a piano is not a violin. You can't really mess it up that oh, much. It's yes, a dung, dung, dung. Doingy, doingy, doing. I hit all the wrong notes. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't in practice. You got to be in practice. I wasn't listening. You, the other part of your dod, dod, god pentacle. <laughs> What's dog wrong pentacles. With me? I'm drunk. I have god pentacles and bog <laughs> pentacles or oh something. Oh my god, what is wrong? Ooh, with it's me? a whole new kind of witchcraft. Another part of your god tentacles is that you also think that everyone's laser focused with their attention on you and like evaluating your performance. Well, of course they are. <laughs> Why would they be looking at anyone else? Oh my god, I just did it again. Everybody's out there is going to think I'm a horrible narcissist, which is fine because I am, but I don't want them to think that I am. It's complex stuff that we're dealing with today. Yeah. So what yeah. about your to your? I mean, I, I just have I have vulnerability hangovers and they're really unpleasant. Like it's a very shamey yeah, place, funny, uh, especially when it's someone you're just getting to know and you really like you're, you're doing that like sharing a little bit extra to sort of test yeah. it out and so you're in that. It's very much like the I love you. It's like yeah. here's a little taste of who I really am. You know what? I think it's always I love you. I think sharing your true self is always a little bit of here I am and I'm available and that's love. I mean, not romantic love. It may not yeah. be even, you may not even know it, but you're basically by sharing your real self saying, here I am. I'm just a girl standing in front of the entire world wanting it to love her obsessively. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm serious. It's love. It is, yeah, but it's also like I love you is is vulnerable to, because you're expressing a, f a feeling that may not be reciprocated. Yeah. But what's different when you're telling some sort of truth about yourself that isn't sanctioned by the culture and doesn't have a script like I love you in the culture, mm. um, you're potentially putting yourself out there as as a weirdo or insert you know worse sure. word like in our case you know it's always feels like something to do with like perverts you know that yeah, with the, that with sort the of thing. Yeah, yeah yeah so it always feels like that's where people are going to go and that's how our shame you know <clears throat> yeah that's how we feel when someone says tmi yeah <laughs> and by the way if this is tmi bye hi <laughs> we love you love you <laughs> and that's why we're talking about you on the internet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your experience of vulnerability? Hang on, mm. this Marty I used to do this thing. I've come a long way. I know because I, you've never really seen me do this. <laughs> I have but, seen you hurl yourself to the floor. That's minor. That's nothing. <laughs> I used to go into things that looked like epileptic seizures. I would literally be like convulsing and grabbing my head and and going ah and. My older kids were like, mm, waves of shame. And I'd be like, yes, waves of shame, pay no attention. Oh, she did something, they would say. And it could be 
anything. And furthermore, I not only had to sort of get away with being vulnerable, yeah, I had to be like, somebody had to basically say, you are absolutely accepted. So mm-hmm. one thing that happened is I used to give a lot of speeches to, especially I wrote a book about Adam, who has Down syndrome, my son. And so I went on this endless speak, speaking tour. It really never ended. People just kept asking me. I spoke in every state of the union, sometimes many times. But um, I would share things about my family, about myself. And if I felt vulnerable, I remember one time in North Carolina, I said this and I did not, this is so stupid. I didn't get a standing ovation. Oh uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, I had I did that poorly. And they had given me this beautiful room in the hotel with a view of the ocean. And I went back to my room and I turned the bed away so that I could not see the ocean because I did not deserve to see the ocean because I had overshared and I had to pay for my shame in some way. I love that you are being so vulnerable Mm. in talking about this topic because it's it's awesome. Like you're so, I mean, I can see exactly where the courage is that Brene is talking about because that is a very raw thing to share. And no, seriously, because to be like, to 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 let people know that that's how much their like them as an audience affects you as a speaker is is incredibly vulnerable because it's it's the one to the many yeah it's yeah. amazing yeah the other the other big one was when my dog died and I was writing a a column for Oprah and I had to get this dog put down mm-hmm. I had to have him because he was full of cancer he was suffering and I had an article due that day and I'd been trying to take care of him. And uh, it wasn't working. So I'd spent three days doing that. And I couldn't, there was nothing in me to write about except my dog's death. Mm. So I wrote this article and I just sobbed all the way through it. Mm. And um, my editor said, this is, this is sophomoric. This is sloppy. This is emotional. And it was the one time in my life that I went back and said, I don't care. This is what you get this month. That was the only time I haven't just done exactly what they said. Wow. But then when I put it out, I was horrified. Like I, I just, I almost went into hiding for the month knowing mm. that that would be out there and that they would think, but it, it was like, it was for him. It was for my dog that I did it. And then one day, like years later, I think I was in, no, it couldn't have been years later because it was really recent. And I, I actually was interacting with Oprah and I said, yeah, my dog died. Cause I was just dying with shame because she would have read it. And she just looked at me and she said, it's a family member. Mm. I was like, oh, he gets it. And then it erased my shame. And it showed me the power that one person has if you go right at somebody in the middle of a vulnerability hangover and Mm. say, I see you. I'm with you. Wow. God, that's so true. And that's almost like something that we can do for each other, Yeah, you know, as we're all trying to reclaim the wildness that that is our birthright, Um, that 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 sort of reinforcement of, yeah, I mean, because because it's all social, it's all about how yeah. did the other person, it's not about the truth that you've spoken. You could speak it on a clifftop, you don't care. Right. It's about how did the other person perceive me. Yeah. And so that's lovely because that's almost like, okay, so there's a, um, there's something that we can do for each other. Uh-huh. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think people are 
better now. I think there's a lot more, and probably because of Brene's work, there's a lot more um, literacy around Mm. vulnerability in the culture, I think. And I know that, for instance, online in forums and groups and stuff, I I more often see people go, this is a very vulnerable post right at the top because it's like saying I'm pretty raw, this isn't easy for me to do, or something, some little signal to say don't, don't, culture at me too right hard, right because this is me here oh that's and that's so powerful that in itself is an act of vulnerability yes and it kind of gives you a little protection and then if just a few people come back to you and say that helped me or I, I I'm in exactly the same place but I was afraid to say so I think it opens up the channel for self-forgiveness yeah and even if they don't yes you know th- the practice the is is figuring out how to forgive yourself and you know I think this it's sort of like a muscle that you can build I think and yeah and it's one of those things that where fake it till you make it can work as well mm-hmm. like me and my blustery well I don't even care you know <laughs> I don't I don't I'm not I refuse to feel vulnerable about this it's true what I said you know yeah. it's true what I said and um yeah so what's the great quote about about forgiveness. Oh yeah. Forgiveness is, I think this is from the 12 step books. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of having had a different past. So basically you do something that makes you feel vulnerable and you're like, Oh no, waves of shame. And this is why I've gotten better. (laughs) I've gotten better at self-forgiveness, but I've also gotten better at going, Oh, well it's out there now. And that's it because you're, you know, we, 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 you know, roll around in bed in agony, go trying to replay the conversation and change what we said. And, you know, as Jackson Brown says, the future's there for anyone to change, but we still think it's easier to change the past. Mm. And um, don't get Einstein no, no, relativity on me. No, no, I just a thought that I want to talk about in a minute. Oh, mm-hmm. oh intriguing. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think that we can – we can work on the self-forgiveness and we can work on um, trying to, we've talked before about like trying to make our focus the inward looking out instead yeah. of our projected outward looking in at us right, right. and just be like, well, what did I say? It doesn't matter how that person responded. And by the way, we don't even know what they were thinking unless they told us and were upfront. So, you know, did I say my truth? Yeah. All right, I forgive myself. I can't. I can't. Uh, what is it? I I'm giving up all hope of having had a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, and you, as we were discussing this, you you used a really interesting term that I don't think we've ever used. And you said we have to do. Then we have to do our culture work. Oh yeah, and I love that. And I I think it's a wonderful concept. So because what we're talking about is, um the culture expressed through the other person or through what we're imagining the other person in uh-huh. their reaction to us being. And um, so so that's why it's it, that's where the culture is showing up, is yeah. in the other person. So that's why we do our culture work with regard yeah. to that person. But culture work is a great thing to bring to any topic we speak of on the Be Wild Files. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, so how do we do our culture work, well, Marty? I will tell you in a minute. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. 
So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. So I want to hear what you think about culture work and what it is. But in this context, I can tell you one of the things I did that um, that helped free me from the hangovers, mm-hmm. the vulnerability hangovers. I used to Drink do something- a big glass of water before you go to bed. Huge glass of water. Um, no, I, I, I did my, I called it anti-shame magic. And I imagined a very cold and windswept island that it was just rocky island. And I was on it with the person that I felt worried about who might be judging me. But the thing was, on this magic island, anyone who wouldn't, who wasn't being authentic, would turn blue. And the less authentic you were, the more blue you would appear. And so there were there were audience members looking, and I would be there, and I would be sharing my authentic self, and I wouldn't be blue. And then the other person would be like TMI, and they would start to turn blue, and the culture would judge them instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> the culture will always judge even whether they're blue or not, the culture will always judge the person who's being authentic. I know. So it's only what we can do ourselves. And I and I just want to return to like the by all means the blue people is is a great it was a is good a great magic image. But okay, so for reals then it helped me. All right. So that is a for reals thing. But honestly, without being completely ridiculous, how do we come to our senses around this vulnerability hangover thing? Well Jenny's question, which I sort of want to get back to, is should we should we just get used to it? If, if our project is that we're moving towards greater and greater authenticity and, and being our true self and, and whether we get all the joy that goes with that and all the release and creativity and stuff, do we have to just get used to the fact that vulnerability hangovers are going to be part of our lives mm. or will they go away at some mm. point? And this comes back around to this idea of culture work. And, you know, as I said before, that this topic is showing us how the culture is inside of us and, um, and so I think that we, that culture work is a muscle that can be built. I mean, ah. as in cu- culture, uh, what do I want to say? Like a defense against yeah. the, the, the projected culture in, in other people is something that we can build, but we have to start by erring on the side of openness yeah, yeah. because it's, um, it's something I've heard you talk about a number of times that that edge out, like you have to keep testing the limit of your comfort zone. If you want to grow. I was taught by a native Canterbridgean when I first went to live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that the way to cross the street in Cambridge is to edge out. And that means stepping into traffic and fixing your gaze on a driver in a car and just forcing them to stop by sheer eye gaze. <laughs> and what you're basically saying is I'm more vulnerable than you are, but you aren't allowed to hit me, hmm. which is a very interesting New Englandy sort of thing. Um, there's another way of expressing it that um, I read in a book on recovery from sexual abuse, which is just fraught with shame because people always blame the victim. I mean... 
I think Aretha Franklin was actually put in jail after being raped by a white man because she was considered to have been the bad. Like it just, it's, it's insane what survivors of sexual abuse go through in terms of public shaming to keep them quiet. Mm. So this was a really, really loaded area. And uh, I think it was Laura Davis and Ellen Bass. They say, try a method called step, check, step. So what they said is you, you share a little bit of yourself. You lock eyes with a driver and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to put my, um, my real story out, but only a tiny bit. I'm not going to jump. I'm going to edge. So you share. And maybe also like just with one person at a time as well, like a small part of the story and just with one person. It's interesting to consider what you do with a crowd. Because I think crowds can be checked as well. But anyway, most people don't have to check with crowds. <laughs> okay. So you do it with one person. And it's when you want to share that you share. Because you have very sophisticated um, you know, mechanisms for evaluating what another person's reaction will be. I mean, mm. we're incredibly subtle in our ability to pick up energy. Mm. And what I've noticed is that, especially with like coming out as gay, coming out as a thruple, there's a moment where you actually want to share because you want to be closer to the other person. You want them to know you. And, but it's kind of a big edge out. You're, you could get hit. So you don't edge very far. Mm. You, you, you say, okay, there's something I need to tell you. Um, I, I have de- close female friends. <laughs> and then you wait for their response. And if they say, well, I, I only have male friends. You're like, no, okay, not you. Yeah, I like really close female friends. And if they start to get it, they'll say, what are you trying to say? Or something. You'll start to feel that you're on safe ground instead of dangerous ground. Yeah, you could be like, you know those female friends I was telling you about last week? Yeah, so um, <laughs> we share a laundry basket. <laughs> I occasionally you know, do their laundry for them. You know those uh, close female friends? Um, <laughs> they They live in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> But only in my mind. Sorry. I'm just a lesbian standing in front of a straight person asking you to accept me. Oh, Who could say no to that? Nobody. Yeah. Well, somebody. Some people just don't get it. And so you, you yank back. And this also, like, it applies what we've said in other contexts about shame and everything is that um, it's it's highly likely that where you have, where you get a strong um, unambiguous pushback from someone that is shaming is probably because they're someone who has a lot of shame. Yes. Um, especially maybe in that whatever area you're going to be talking to them Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because really it doesn't, no one's, it, it doesn't have to affect anyone else. So if they're, if they come back at you, it's that you wrote about this in the way of integrity, you know, mm-hmm. this idea where it threatens our way of life, you know, yes. that kind of mentality, which is so blatantly false yeah. um, that anyone is threatening anyone else's way of life with how they live their life. You know what I think is happening there? Like if you're, if gay marriage threatens straight marriage, divorce is fine. It doesn't threaten straight marriage at all. Yeah. What I think when somebody's really anti-gay marriage and says that it's attacking their relationship, it means that their relationship is only held in place by the constructs of shame. Like you marry, mm. you know, you have a heterosexual marriage, you have 2.5 kids, the whole thing. If that's a strong bond that they're not afraid to lose, then if you say, I have a totally different kind of marriage, they'll go, oh, great. Hmm. But if the only kind of, if their relationship is being held together strictly by the social restrictions around relationships, Hmm. then a difference does feel threatening to them. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's so true. Do you remember, um, I was so scared when we got together because I was good friends, am good friends with Stephen Mitchell and Byron Katie, who yes. are two, they're two beautiful, um, lovely people that I love. They're both really spiritual. Um, I was, the worst thing about us getting together was I said, I can't do this. I have to tell Stephen Mitchell. And I thought he would be so judgmental because he, I don't know, he's just a lovely human being, but he's not really wild, you know? And so we told Stephen and Katie, almost the, the first people we told, mm. and they were absolutely no problem, no mm. problem whatsoever, just mm. went straight through. Because what they care about is, are you sharing your true nature? Yeah. Are you being authentic with us? That's all. Yeah. Okay. So for Jenny, just coming back to Jenny, then the question becomes, is your vulnerability hangover the consequence of you sharing something that was true? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's the first question. And that's really important. Yeah. And if so, be proud no matter what their reaction is. Yeah. And that's what sort of the gay pride movement has taught us all. And the, and the, Black Lives Matter and everything, and be proud of your mm. truth, even if they try to shame you. Yeah. It, and if you if it's not true, still forgive yourself and Absolutely. be willing to move on. My favorite phrase for this, I was writing away in a book and I was writing about uh, Adam, and I believe that he's kind of psychic and magical. He's shown that many times. And I wrote that down and I always used to go back and change it and say, if you don't agree with me, I totally respect your point of view. I could be making this all up. And one day I went back to change something I'd written so it would be more culturally sensitive. And I said, I live with a spiritual master. If you disagree with me, I respectfully do not care. Hmm. And it was a massive liberation yeah. from so many um, hangovers, vulnerability hangovers. Yes. And it's the word respectfully because it's what we've talked about a number of times that is it's you're either it, there's in the culture, there's in reaction to the culture mm. and then there's independent of the culture which oh, yeah. doesn't have to have that oppositional yeah there's nothing dual about it it is simply the truth it's not pro or anti it is simply what it is yeah like is a tree pro or anti anything nothing it just yeah. is yeah so you're in nature there's no judgment and if you be what you are and stand up and be what you are, you're also probably help, helping to liberate someone else. That's true. That's true. And <clears throat> I do think that it it does get easier over time. For sure. Um, and, the, and the hangovers are less and less. And um, But even while they're still uh, fresh and raw and sharp, we – you know, it's it's a sign that you're doing it. Yes. You're doing it right. You're going this, wild. It, you can't go wild without this experience. Right. This and, is what it looks like. And as you do your culture work, I mean, I think we said earlier, as you change your uh, your attitude toward, toward your own shaming, you start to project a different culture, which is the acceptance of individuality, which is what I felt from Stephen and Katie, mm. who are, you know, quite a bit older than we are had no trouble with it. Mm. They did their culture work. Mm. They're, be they're beyond it, I think. Mm. Mm. So like, what are some like culture work, quick, quick, quick fixes that we could tell the folks? If you're in a vulnerability hangover and mm -hmm. you don't have someone nearby that you can call and tell them about it, because that would be the ideal thing. Someone that you sure. know gets it, who's also on the same path and trying to do the same thing. That's the first thing is call, yeah. call your friend. If Reconnect. there's no one who you know or who's available, 
I would listen to us. Yeah. Listen to Bewildered. We this love is, you. We love you. This is what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and and then there's always books, isn't there? Like, oh, books were my, I called them my paper mothers when I was like rupturing every social bond that I had. I could recreate them by reading the books of certain people who felt deeply true and who were themselves wild, like, mm. like lots of, I mean, you can read in the show notes, we'll have a list of books that you can read. Um, books by weirdos. By weirdos. People who are outside of culture and help us to, to, to say, stay strong. And some of the best of those are the poets, by the way, poetry. That's true. Really. That's true. It's, it steps outside of nature and then it invites us with language to step away into something wilder and without language where yeah. everyone is acceptable just as they are. Absolutely. And Mary Oliver's the classic um, person of our time with that, but Wendell Berry is another one, John O'Donohue always, and our friend, the magnificent Mary Walker mm, is New also. Zealand poet. Like she's fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. So, and remember, it's love. You're always, when you open yourself to the world, you are giving the world love, and the world needs more love. The world does not need more shame. So let yourself just hang out there in the breeze, do your <laughs> culture work, and stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word wild to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>